0: In today's episode of Holistic Health Chats, I speak with Brittany Darling on the topic of fertility optimization and preconception care. Brittany is a nutritionist and herbalist specializing in fertility, pregnancy, and postnatal nutrition. Brittany and I discuss what preconception care entails, how long before trying to conceive is ideal to start your preconception care journey, And of course, the importance of choosing a quality prenatal and so much more. If you have any key takeaways from this episode, I would love if you would go and find Brittany on Instagram or connect with myself. And you can find all of those links that you need in the show notes. Hi Brittany and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here today. So we're talking all about fertility optimization and preconception care but before we get into all of that good stuff I'd love if you could share just two things about yourself that most people don't know already. So
1: one thing which I'm kind of embarrassed about but Um, I used to be a model before I was a nutritionist. So I I lived in the UK um, for most of my modelling life. So... That's one thing. And then the other thing is that I'm part mine Indian. So my grandmother is from Belize, even though I look like your standard white lady, I have a bit of, you know, spicy blood in me. (laughs) I love that. And how long were you modeling for? So I was modeling since I was 13. So quite a long time. Um, And there's no way in hell that I'm going to let my daughter do modeling. (laughs) But it was certainly um, a good experience for a you know, a girl who grew up on the Sunshine Coast and um, it allowed me to travel, you know, internationally and be financially independent
0: and meet some incredible people. So I'm grateful for that. But yeah, definitely not for my daughter. Yeah, I bet. You know, I'm sure you had some amazing experiences, but I can understand wanting something different for your little girl. And how old (laughs) is she? So she's six. Okay. So I'd love to just start out with a bit about what you do in your day to day business at the moment and how you're helping women. So, day to day, I'm seeing clients one on one. So, or sometimes
1: one on two. Hopefully, the male partner's there, but um, that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I see them both in clinic and also online. So, since COVID, there's been a lot of online consults, which has been amazing because I can reach out to so many more people um, and people that live all over the world as well. Mm-hmm. And then I have a few other side gigs. So I'm part of a, well, I'm the co-founder of Day One Fertility, mm-hmm. which we do courses for exactly this, pregnancy, preconception care, fertility with my business partner, Jack All, I have my own children's vitamin company called Nutrients. Uh, which I launched in lockdown this time last year. So 2020, July 2020, we launched. And I have a few other bits and pieces that I do, but, you know, they're less interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Love that. And day one, fertility, that's all about helping couples with fertility optimization? Yeah. So it's at the moment we're building out the platform, so it hasn't launched yet. But what
1: we have recorded so far is... Uh, Preconception, fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum nutrition. Um, But eventually, we will branch out into, you know, day one of getting your first period, day one of menopause. The idea is that there is a day one for every stage of your reproductive life, and basically, we provide the nutritional and lifestyle uh, education around that to support um, women and men every step of the way.
0: I love that. What a great idea of supporting women. Really, it's the entire sort of life cycle really then. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And nutrition
1: plays such a huge role in all of that. So yeah, our aim is really to make it, you know, seamless and and empower women to take control of their own
0: health and their own journey. Yeah, definitely. We need more of that. I know there's a lot more awareness now, certainly more than when I was say at school and and learning about all of that kind of thing. We definitely need more people doing what you're doing for sure. And how about, how did you transition from becoming a model to then doing what you're doing now? So um, luckily enough,
1: modeling paid for my tertiary education. So it got me through uni. So um, after graduating, you know, I did a solid kind of five years of study because I did a herbal medicine advanced diploma on top of the nutrition. And I basically went straight into clinical practice after I graduated. And you know rented a room in a clinic with other health practitioners, and kind of just went from there and At the time, I was very broad, I saw a whole range of clients from all different walks of life and all different um, health issues but it's really in the last kind of three years that I've honed into this pre mm-hmm. pregnancy fertility space before that I was seeing like kind of in the last five years, I was seeing a lot of kids, Mm -hmm. a lot of kids with developmental disorders, a lot of kids with allergies, a lot of kids with, you know, chronic health issues. And the reason I kind of pivoted into the preconception fertility space was I was finding so many of these things I was treating in these kids were preventable. Like I almost, I kept thinking to myself, oh, I wish I knew mum before she fell pregnant or I wish I you know, could have given mum the right micronutrients during pregnancy to have prevented, say, whatever the complication may have been. So I, I kind of have pivoted towards this preconception fertility space and pregnancy nutrition space as a preventative thing because it's so much more rewarding <laughs> being able yeah. to prevent these things and having to treat these poor little kids with all these health issues.
0: Yeah. It's so, uh, you know, there's that always that cliche saying of prevention is always going to be better than cure, but it is, it is. And it's so great that, you know, you had that realization of, well, what's actually the source and the root of these kids that I'm treating? and, And can I sort of go back one step in the treatment process and actually be working with where this is starting? So I imagine that's where we'll end up going in the conversation today, but what's, do you sort of, the way you talk about fertility optimization is more so the prevention of, you know, allergies and those sorts of conditions, developmental conditions you're treating in kids versus preconception care being about just optimization of overall health for Bob. is that?
1: So, I mean, preconception optimization really is, you know, establishing that foundation and, mm-hmm. and finding out where the couple is at. So, you know, doing testing, like blood testing, finding out what their micronutrient levels are, doing all the dietary stuff, supplements, and also lifestyle stuff. So Mm. things like plastics and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's kind of the key thing of preventing chronic health issues in children. And obviously that rolls into pregnancy care and ensuring optimal nutrition through the pregnancy as well. The fertility optimization is something that, you know, kind of comes part and parcel with preconception care, Mm. but there is like a whole other level that we can kind of up the ante. If I have a client that's, you know, been trying longer than six months, if they're over 35, or if they've been trying longer than 12 months, um, if they're less than 35, like there are so many things we can do to improve egg quality, sperm Mm -hmm. quality, and also improve IVF outcomes as well. So they're kind of you know intertwined, yeah. but not everyone will need that gung-ho fertility optimization. Preconception yeah. care may just be enough. And hopefully if you give preconception care, you know, enough time, ideally three months, but more ideally six to 12 months, if you've got time up your sleeve, you will just fall pregnant like first or second time trying, you know? Yeah. And that's the ultimate goal because I think so many couples can get really stressed out when it doesn't happen in those first few months and then that stress can become such an inhibitor Mm. of their fertility ongoing. So I really like to see it as hitting the ground running.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, for so many of our women out there, they're waiting really until they want to get pregnant to start delving into their hormones and their health and that kind of thing and then like you said that their stress for time which only exacerbates things because we know obviously that psychological stress element is arguably one of the has the biggest effect on our overall health going into the preconception care side of things so you mentioned minimum of three months but like ideally six to 12 months timeline. And you talked about blood tests. Is there anything else that you're looking at incorporating in that period? I mean, definitely
1: dietary optimization to improve fertility. So, you know, going into, you know, are they eating enough vegetables? Are they getting enough fiber? Are they having enough protein? Are they eating healthy fats? Are they avoiding trans fats? You know, are they getting enough of those micronutrients and all of that kind of stuff? But the other thing to consider is, Uh, One third of pregnancies are unintended. So a lot of my female clients, I will start doing, you know, preconception care without them even knowing really. Well, they'll know, but you know what I mean? It's such a staggering stat that one in three pregnancies are unintended. So therefore, I believe that preconception care
0: could just be a part of standard health care during a woman's reproductive years? Well, it's just really optimizing your health. If you think about, you know, preconception care is really to get your body to the healthiest it can possibly be so that you can get pregnant with ease and deliver all of those amazing nutrients to your baby. And when we think about that really broadly, that's just seeking to optimize your health. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. And also your period is your monthly report card of yes. your health. So if you think about it that way as well, even if you're a woman in your 20s, it doesn't necessarily want to have baby straight away. Having a regular menstrual cycle that isn't painful and isn't too heavy, all of that is within your control to some degree and is really a reflection of your health.
0: Yeah, definitely. It certainly is. And so blood testing, do you ever go into, I guess, you know, any kind of gut or microbiome testing or does that, you know, depend on someone's symptom presentation?
1: It totally depends on someone's symptom presentations, but if there is those red flags, like they've got Mm. diarrhea, they've got constant bloating, they've got, you know, reflux, bad breath, breath, whatever it may be, I will certainly be doing a gut microbiome test. And, you know, if we've got time up our sleeves, potentially doing a gut protocol because this is the microbiome that they're going to be passing on to their baby.
0: Mm.
1: So there's a school of thought that says that the gut microbiome can translocate into the placenta, And obviously you're passing that on to your baby and your baby's being exposed. But also I do a lot of work on the vaginal microbiome as well. So I Mm -hmm. see women who have, you know, history of infections or have chronic thrush and things like that, because really the baby is going to be passing through that vaginal Mm -hmm. canal and they're going to be smothered in that (laughs) vaginal microbiome. So we want to really, you know, have that microbiome being really abundant and flourishing and something that you want to pass on to your child. So yeah, gut testing, heavy metal, testing I will do occasionally if I see someone that is obviously being exposed to certain things in the environment or if, say they're eating a ton of fish so I'll do a mercury test for that um, but generally I'm testing for micronutrients so folate being the most obvious one uh, b12 vitamin d a lot of doctors assume that because we live in Australia that their client or their patient is going to be vitamin d and every single person I test Pretty much at the moment, everyone I test is vitamin D deficient. Yeah, (laughs) just because we live in Australia doesn't mean we're not going to be vitamin D deficient. And then like a urine test for iodine. Sometimes I test for zinc. There's like a
0: whole heap of nutrients that we test for. It's interesting because I definitely do that with my preconception clients. But then, you know, I think about what I'm testing with all of my female clients and it's it's not too dissimilar and so we are looking always to you know optimize that overall health you touched on you know obviously hoping that the male in the relationship is going to be at the appointment because we know it does obviously take two to tango so what sorts of things are you doing with the males is it the same the micronutrient optimization
1: yeah so um testing for him as well making sure his micronutrient status is optimal i'll always give a prenatal multi to him as well and that's certainly you know a prenatal multi for men that contains things like selenium and zinc and coq10 It's certainly going to improve the health of the sperm as well. Basically, men provide half of the genetic material for making this baby. Mm. (laughs) So their health is just as important. So, yeah testing, supplementation, and also diet. So mm. really reducing alcohol intake, that's always a big conversation. And also, you know, if, if they need to lose weight, that, that you know, happens. And also we know that the diet quality of the male in the six months prior to conception can impact that child's lifelong risk of things like obesity and type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So it is important that we get the men on board.
0: Yeah, definitely. And do you find you have any resistance with that in working with clients? I do. And it's
1: something that I struggle with every day, but I am getting better at negotiating. So usually I'll see the woman first and then at the end of the appointment, we'll touch on their partner's health. And usually how I get them on board most of the time is with a slight sports nutrition angle. So I'm like, well, like, if he's training or if he's, you know, doing this exercise or whatever it is, perhaps I can chat to him about his protein requirements and maybe give him some supplements that can enhance his performance. And that's kind of my current angle of going about it. I love that.
0: I'm going to um, use that. And it,
1: yeah, that <laughs> tends to work. Or let me speak to him about his recurring infections or like his recurring, you know, colds and flus that he's getting. And maybe there's something to that and we can, you know, mm. so... Dragging in what's important for them um, and applying it to the preconception protocol (laughs) helps.
0: Yes, I love that. And with males as well, similar timeline in that we're aiming for a minimum of three months, hopefully more if possible. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think as well from, you know, from the point of the relationship as well, it's really important that it does feel like a joint venture and that the burden's not put solely on the woman, because I feel that in certainly in the fertility space, it it feels like it's just the woman's job to go away and, you know, heal her body and, and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, 30% of infertility cases are put down to male factors, So mm-hmm. they really do play a huge role. And then there's nothing, you know, more of a wake-up call than a man um, seeing his sperm analysis results. Yes. I and mean, we know that sperm counts are declining at a rapid rate every single year. And for a man, you know, for a couple that's been trying for a while, if I can convince the man to do a sperm analysis, mm-hmm. which I basically um, describe as having a wank in a first-class airport lounge. (laughs) (laughs) It's really nothing to be afraid of. But, you know, seeing those results can really help to get them on board Mm, (laughs) and, you know, get them into gear and start being more proactive.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing I love about testing is I think it feeds compliance because it's one thing for us as the practitioner to sit here and, you know, not tell someone what to do, but give advice around certain things. But when you actually have that data on paper, it becomes, you know, less about our experience and our thoughts of, no, 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 these are the facts, they're here And I find anyway with clients that they find that really quite motivating once they're able to see that information. Yeah, absolutely. And then so coming back to fertility optimization, say if someone, you know, has been trying for a while or they've, you know, done all the standard preconception care steps and strategies and they still haven't been able to fall pregnant what are your steps that next in starting to unpack that fertility optimization piece?
1: Look, it's so different for every single person, but yeah. you know, I the first step would be finding out, trying to find out, and don't always find out, but um, trying to get a feel for what the root cause could be. So is it. Mm-hmm female factor is it male factor and really working in with their healthcare like their IVF specialist or their fertility specialist doctor as well so finding out what exactly is going on do we need to regulate the cycle you know really investigating that menstrual cycle investigating underlying health issues that might be going on as well Back, you know again micronutrient deficiencies you're less likely to conceive and carry a pregnancy with certain micronutrient deficiencies investigating male factor it's So multifactorial, but for a lot of my more complex uh, fertility cases and IVF clients, it's certainly, I always warn warn them, it's a lot of supplements Mm. and it's a lot of antioxidant-type supplements, so vitamin E, co 10 glutathione, those kinds of things, and sometimes herbs as well, which, Mm. you know, come in brown bottles and they taste disgusting,
0: but they work. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what, I think when you're at that point, you you'd do anything right it's that important for you to be able to conceive and and fulfill that part of your life i i don't think you're worried yeah. hopefully about about the disgusting herbs yeah and then a good
1: referral to an acupuncturist and mm-hmm. other allied health counseling also like whatever that individual in front of me needs we yeah refer out and
0: yeah support them holistically and do you have much of your or many of your clients that are in that camp that, you know, you treat for thyroid conditions?
1: Yeah, I see thyroid conditions a lot. Mm. For whatever reason, it's not on that standard preconception, you know, test that every woman should really get. A lot of GPs aren't even ordering TSH, which is thyroid-stimulating hormone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not being picked up until they've had, you know, one, two, maybe three, hopefully not three, but... In some cases, it has been miscarriages mm. and we realise that, wow, their thyroid's completely out of whack or they have thyroid antibodies that, and that kind of condition needs further investigation and in a lot of cases, medication, thyroxine, mm. like thyroid replacement therapy, so that they can maintain that pregnancy.
0: Yeah, definitely. See, I just think it's so devastating that we're waiting for women to go through two or three miscarriages before we look at that. Full thyroid picture. And I often wonder, you know, with that, because the feedback that I often hear anyway is that, you know, maybe TSH was tested. And then the feedback to the client via the GP has been that the thyroid's fine. And so, you know, in their mind, then, you know, fertility is obviously it's nothing to do with my thyroid. It's fine. And then when I hear that information, I'm always thinking, you know, well, was it just TSH tested? Can we look into that further? And I am often recommending for someone in that situation or even just my preconception clients, to be honest, that we actually do do a full thyroid panel and whether that's, you know, privately billed or just going back to have another conversation with the GP. It's just an unfortunate way about how the sort of Medicare system set up at the moment that that's the case.
1: Yeah, and then the other thing that feeds into that is testing for iodine, which is a non-Medicare test anyway. So yeah. even if they get it through their doctor, they still have to pay for it. And I think it's like, I think it's $50 or something. It's not yeah, crazy. it's not expensive. too bad. But when you consider that, well, iodine is really important for thyroid function and Mm -hmm. probably a lot of the thyroid cases that we're seeing are probably just iodine deficiency. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that iodine deficiency in the early stages of pregnancy are the leading cause of mental retardation and I hate that word but it's a medical term, like there's Mm -hmm. no other word for it. So it's a leading cause of mental retardation in our children. And some studies are actually saying that our kids' IQs would be much higher if we were getting our recommended iodine intake mm. during pregnancy.
0: Yeah, that's, I just got goosebumps from hearing that.
1: It's Yeah, it's really scary. And they're also predicting other minerals like zinc and iron. If they mm. were optimal during pregnancy, that our children's IQs um, would be much higher.
0: Well, iron's a really big one and interesting in that, you know, such a small portion of women actually end up having enough iron in tri three. by the time they get there, rather. And I just think, again, this is such a huge benefit, something like this, of understanding why doing preconception care is so important because it's not sort of standard really for iron to be tested until late try two, try three. And once you're at that point, I mean, really it's too late. There's not a lot you can really do and, you know, potentially are looking at an iron intervention, something like an infusion. But if you're doing proper preconception care, then that sort of thing can be largely avoided in most cases.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my clients that I've followed from preconception, you know, all the way through their pregnancy, we kind of get to the third trimester and their iron drops it's normal for your iron to drop in the third trimester but their iron drops not to like a critical you know Mm -hmm. level and that most importantly their hemoglobin isn't dropping Mm -hmm. to that critical level either but you know i do have a handful of clients that come to me in their third trimester um when they've kind of hit crisis point Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they've got lots of you know Things going on, whether it's gestational diabetes or really low iron or even just fatigue. And, you know, it can be tricky to get those iron levels back up if they are really low. And sometimes iron infusions, as much as I'm not the biggest fan of them, sometimes they are indicated, Yeah, but they are hugely inflammatory. So... I would much rather just supplement or, you know, do dietary work if we can, but that really is dependent on the client not getting to that (laughs) flatlining zero
0: iron level and having a hemoglobin of like 70, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's that, yeah, that fine balance. And then I guess I just also want to mention, I guess that while we're talking about what's optimal and that ideally if you're doing all of this preconception care, there's so much that you can avoid and it's great. But if you're already pregnant, it's never too late, right? You can still work with a nutritionist or a naturopath in order to get those bloods done and start optimising those micronutrients, whatever stage you're at, you know, it's still important to look into that.
1: And even if you've had your baby and you're you're hearing this and you're going, oh my God, I was so iron deficient in my pregnancy and it wasn't corrected. Well, you know, we can make sure that your baby's getting enough iron. We can work on it that way. Or if you were vitamin D deficient, Um, during your pregnancy, we can supplement bub with vitamin D. And in fact, if it's exclusively breastfed, it's recommended
0: that Mm. it gets a vitamin D supplement every day. So
1: yeah, lots to be done.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you just mentioned the postpartum period. So, you know, I obviously have my thoughts on this, but I'd love to hear you talk about it. So the you know how do you think postpartum outcomes are really shaped and impacted by proper preconception care and and certainly uh, care throughout pregnancy so it really
1: comes back again to micronutrient you know repletion and you know optimal levels so We know that mums that are replete in important micronutrients like selenium, in DHA and in iron, that they have lower scores of postnatal anxiety and depression. Mm So if you're nutritionally replete and selenium, in fact, yeah, if you're nutritionally replete, you're less likely to suffer from those, that condition. And then the other thing is that breast milk output can be higher in women mm-hmm. who are more nourished. So for example, I'm trying to pull up this stat on my computer because <laughs> it never sticks in my brain. So <laughs> yeah, so well-nourished mums are able to produce one to 1.5 litres of milk per day Mm -hmm. versus mums who are not as well nourished may only be able to produce 400 to 600 mils of milk per day. Yeah, that's huge. It's massive. And if you're talking Mm. about like settling a baby and, you know, like not having it scream because it's hungry, like, whoa, that's uh, like incredible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that in of itself is really, really motivating, isn't it? There's so many benefits, not only for, bub's health during pregnancy and after birth but also your own mental and emotional health after pregnancy as well and how off how long sort of after that postpartum period do you generally recommend checking in on those micronutrients again because obviously you know pregnancy is going to take quite a bit from you and then we've got to remember that after pregnancy if you are breastfeeding you're still growing that baby it's just not in the womb anymore so yeah Do you have a recommendation for postpartum and when women should be really starting to look into those micronutrients again?
1: Yeah, so I usually do it six weeks postpartum. Then I do it six months postpartum and then 12 months postpartum, unless something comes up in between, but that's generally the timeline of when I like to test again yeah and it all depends on you know how long they breastfeed for and how they're finding it and also whether they're jumping straight back in to having another baby as well
0: yeah so that's something to touch on with that say you know it's of course going to depend on the gap between previous bub and and second baby but do you have anything different that you're wanting to consider in the preconception care um, period if it's been you know a short time frame since the first baby and they've been breastfeeding?
1: I would be led by the testing, but also led by mum's diet as well yeah. and mum's ability to
0: you know,
1: (laughs) nourish herself and what kind of foods she's eating. But if they are jumping straight back in, it will be definitely, and if they've been breastfeeding as well, it will definitely be a good dose of DHA, but also potentially other micronutrients as well. Um, And I do find a lot of my clients are jumping back into trying again, you know, a year after their uh, first was born or Mm -hmm. their, you know, whichever baby it is, mainly because of age. Yes. Or they're planning that embryo transfer, you know, exactly a year after Bub was born as well. So it's basically just high dose nutrients, lots of healthy food and lifestyle optimization.
0: And we've talked a little bit about prenatals, but, you know, I know this is something that's talked a lot about in the sort of health and nutrition space. What are we sort of looking for in a prenatal? What are some good options and some that, you know, less than ideal? So
1: I'm not allowed to mention any brand, but I think it's important to point out that not all prenatals are created equally. Mm -hmm. Some of them were formulated a very long time ago and are very well overdue for reformulation. And there's no one size fits all. So, as a standard thing, the recommended dose for folate or folic acid equivalents is 400 micrograms per day. But that's not going to be for every woman. Some women need more, and that will depend on what underlying health conditions you have, your nutritional status, when we test your actual folate, what that looks like, your age your weight, and if you're on any medication. But in general, a good prenatal will contain that bare minimum, 400 micrograms, but I find most of them have 500 micrograms of folate or folate equivalents in it. A big bonus for me would be if the prenatal contained choline. Mm -hmm. So choline is kind of a new kid on the block nutrient. It was only discovered in the late 80s, and it's not in a lot of prenatals. Mm -hmm. So if it's got choline, Extra bonus points. It's choline's equally as important as folic acid for preventing your tube defects. It's also really important for Bub's brain development and also placental function. But basically, you want a complex. Of nutrients like there's too many to list yes yeah. <laughs> but they're my two kind of things um, to look out for you want you know vitamin b12 in there as well again vitamin b12 is really important for preventing your tube defects as well it works synergistically with folate and you never want to just supplement folate on its own you always want it with vitamin b12 because they compete for absorption and they can mask the deficiency of each other. But yeah, that's all I kind of... And, you know, there's tablet forms, there's capsule forms. It just depends on your digestive capacity as well. So some people won't be breaking down tablets and they're basically just passing them through. But I do find in first trimester, the tablet forms are better tolerated. They don't cause as much morning sickness. Mm-hmm. But even if you're thinking about, you know, first trimester supplements as well, you may want to consider a multi that doesn't contain iron. Mm-hmm. Or zinc because both of those minerals can be incredibly nauseating as well. So yeah, yeah, but it's like whoa, that I feel like that's a whole podcast episode. Yes, all to that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> always supplementing DHA separately as well.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. If there was any others, I mean, you know, of course it would depend on, you know, if you've done bloods, what micronutrient deficiencies you have, if any, but if there's any other sort of standard ones you recommend.
1: Yeah. So I will supplement DHA, either an algal DHA or a fish oil DHA separately to the prenatal. The ones that have it in the multis, it's really not enough. Like I'm supplementing 500 milligrams sometimes up to two grams of DHA depending on the client and what their, you know, their diet's like and all sorts of health conditions that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, always supplementing it separately and knowing the source. Like, again, not all fish oils or algae oils are created equally. They, you know, are sourced from different Places And have different testing protocols for impurities. So you really want to know where you're getting your supplements from. And as a general rule, and this is something that I've only learned since sort of having my own supplement company is basically anything that's from America or other places overseas, they don't have the same stringent testing and compliance that we have in Australia. We're actually very lucky in Australia to have the TGA or the Therapeutic Goods Administration because they really hold supplement companies that are Australian-based to the highest standards. So if you're ordering supplements online, just be super cautious where they're coming from and who's potentially making them. And basically supplements from America, anyone can be making supplements in their back garage. Yeah bottling them and slapping a label on them and putting them on iHerb. So just keep that in mind. So you really do get what you pay for. And I feel like Australian supplements are just, you know, world-class. They're honestly the best.
0: Yeah, they definitely are. It's so true. You don't, you know, you do, you do get what you pay for. Sorry. I, you know, there's of course, plenty of supplements at the supermarket and, Big chemist chains and things like that, I generally not recommending those. So I think even if you, for whatever reason, aren't gonna see a practitioner ongoing, just even having one appointment where you can get some individualized advice around that and some and, and a prescription around what supplements to take is great, even if you only do that, I think. And just on that, before we wrap up, so you know, you've talked about some of the key nutrients. What about what foods that are great to include in that? preconception care period
1: oh there's so many so many <laughs> <laughs> sardines always comes to mind although everyone always cringes like goes oh yuck yeah (laughs) um (laughs) they really are a fertility superfood if i can bang on them about them for a second so they're high in iron high in zinc high in um, omega-3 fatty acids high in calcium and really low in mercury so we worry about too much mercury in pregnancy because it's a neurotoxin so i do love sardines eggs are a great fertility superfood as well but really you're looking at making sure are you getting enough protein? Mm-hmm. So based on your body weight and your physical activity level, make sure you're getting enough protein and protein found in animal foods. also found in plant foods. I have a huge preference for those plant proteins. So legumes, beans, things like that. They are certainly beneficial for fertility. There are some studies showing that high saturated fat and also animal proteins may have a detrimental effect on fertility. So, And then obviously having fish, but you want to be, again, small species, Mm -hmm. you want to be getting enough vegetables, particularly the green leafy variety. A common thing I find is a lot of people aren't eating enough fruit, so you want to be having two to three serves of fruit a day, High preference on organic berries, if that's accessible. Making sure you're not unnecessarily cutting out any food groups. So I'm, you know, a big advocate for full-fat organic dairy. Um, There are studies that show that women who consume full-fat dairy have a lower risk of anovulatory, meaning no ovulation infertility. What else? Yeah, not unnecessarily cutting out gluten, Unless you have celiac disease, there is no effect whatsoever on gluten and your fertility. So making sure that you're including all those really whole grains, and when I say whole grain, I literally mean the whole grain, like things like farro and oats. Rather than you know Helga's whole grain bread, I I literally want the gritty whole grains, and they're such a good source of fiber. They help to feed the microbiome, but they're also a good source of B vitamins and also uh, vitamin E as well. And really, endometrial thickness I find for a lot of my uh, IVF clients is dependent on that whole grain intake mm. and making sure that they're getting enough carbohydrates and healthy fats. You know. I I feel like healthy fats is easy. Avocados, nuts, seeds, olive oil, oil, all of that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the foundation of the fertility diet. And if you're kind of thinking, oh, wow, this sounds a lot like (laughs) a Mediterranean diet, that's basically what I want my clients doing.
0: yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then, of course, if you are doing um, blood testing, you can get some more specialised advice around which foods, you know, you're looking at including more of and how much of and that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Is there anything else that you wanted to add to the conversation? Not that I can think of. Maybe um, don't stress. I feel like, like I said earlier, stress is the
1: biggest inhibitor. Of fertility. And, you know, anyone who's been through a very stressful period or are in a stressful period of their life will know that their libido is significantly impacted. When you're stressed, you don't digest your food. And when you're stressed, you don't um, need to reproduce either. So, you know, bear that in
0: mind. Yeah, that's really important to mention. Thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with our listeners today. If um, anyone's listening and wants to get in touch with you, Brittany, or um, make an appointment with you, where can they find you?
1: So they can find me on Instagram at Whole Food Healing or my website is wholefoodhealing.com.au. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice. So please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selandouglas.com forward slash book for more information.